Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthy is Hot podcast. I'm your host, Chloe Wilde, TV host by day, sweatpant connoisseur by night, and a health and a life coach always. From hashtag to movement, we believe that loving all sides of you is what's healthy, and healthy is hot. Come hang out as we have raw, real conversations with badass individuals living passionate lives, thriving to make their dreams come true, and diving deep into how they got to where they are. And the best part? How health is a key component of all of it. From the highs to the lows, we get into it. From fitness to mental health to aspirational careers, get ready to be inspired. Also, we don't hold back. There might be swearing, there's definitely going to be some laughing. And hopefully you can take something away from these conversations to live your best life, to live your healthiest hot life. Brought to you by Clarence. Oh, hello, HIH community. Today we've got Emily Ebert on the pod, registered dietitian, content creator, cat mom, and houseplant collector. I can definitely vibe with that. I have a very proud victory right behind me, friends. Um, Emily works one-on-one with clients struggling with disordered eating, orthorexia, and chronic dieting, using some really cool principles of intuitive eating and health at every size. I cannot wait to dive more into that and learn about that. She also specializes in working with clients who are vegan or vegetarian, have food allergies or restrictions or are part of the LGBTQ plus community. We are so excited to have you on the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I love that being a cat mom is like one of the first things in your bio. I I respect that because clearly it's a big part of who you are. I love all animals. So I, I think that's pretty cool. Yes. Any opportunity to talk about my cat, I take it. So it is in my professional bio. (laughs) I know for everyone listening and and you don't have access to the video, I've already seen the cat. The cat has made an appearance. Yeah. Oh, there he is. (laughs) He's there again. Hello. Oh my gosh. I love it. So how, how does one like land and become a registered dietitian? Like what led you to the place you are now today? Ooh. Um, so I didn't go to college, uh, thinking that I was going to be a dietitian. Don't even really think I knew exactly what a dietitian was. It's not like a very common healthcare job that you hear about, you know, you hear like doctor, nurse, whatever. Um, so I went to college for communications like PR and I was going to graduate early and get like a big PR job in Chicago. That was the goal. And then in college, went through my own journey with disordered eating and obsessive exercise um, and like really poor body image and saw a dietitian was like very um, what I now know would be considered orthorexic. So kind of this obsession with like healthy eating. Um, But I had lost my period like it was, you know, it was a big deal. And I saw my own dietitian and I started going to therapy. So this was now six years ago. Um, And then through that experience was like, I really want to be a dietitian. Um, I have always loved food and loved cooking. um, So I was no stranger to, you know, being in the kitchen, but just had found this other way of approaching it that was really valuable for me and just wanted a rewarding job to help others do that. Um, So I, Ended up graduating with that communications degree, but then um, went and got my master's immediately in nutrition, finished that, and we have to do like a year-long internship. You're working for free for a year. 
skip the whole thing. <laughs> and then I became a dietitian in June of 2021. So just this past summer. Well, congratulations. That is a job. Yeah. I think that's the thing with nutritionists or with dietitians. I don't think people realize, I know I didn't realize until I started having the opportunity to speak to so many awesome individuals like mm-hmm. yourself, that it is, it is a journey. Like it is a lot yeah. of schooling to get there. And I'm definitely finding that the more and more um, specialists that I have on the podcast, more often than not, there's a very personal route to mm-hmm. the desire of being in a position like yours, where now you get to use the knowledge you've accrued over your life to help other people who may also be struggling. And two things right off the top that you said, orthorexia and disordered eating. Mm-hmm. I'd love to start there because I think those are terms that now are kind of thrown around, or maybe people don't really know what they mean, especially orthorexia, because immediately when you talked about it, you, I believe you said obsessive, um, like quite being quite obsessed with healthy eating, which you'd think yeah. on surface level, like, oh, like you're obsessed with healthy eating. Like, how can that be a bad thing? But mm-hmm. if you experience it, it definitely can be quite debilitating. So I, I'd love to just kind of break down those two terms, if you wouldn't mind for us. Yeah, that's a great idea. So I'll start with disordered eating. Um, I like to describe it as kind of in the middle of the somewhere on the spectrum between, you know, one side being what we would consider a quote unquote normal eater, like can have, you know, those people that like never have had issues with food or body image. It just seems like they kind of go through life and they're like, you know, they eat like just kind of naturally balanced. They don't really have any qualms about like spontaneous food experiences, like those sorts of things. Um, kind of like a natural born intuitive eater that never had those instincts taken away by the things that we learn when we get older. Um, so that's kind of on one side of the spectrum. And on the other side of the spectrum would be like a full blown eating disorder, anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder. Um, uh, there are other eating disorders, but those are probably the ones people are most familiar with. And then you have all the different, you know, uh, ways of describing disordered eating that could be on that spectrum, right? So um, that's kind of what I would consider disordered eating, anything in the middle yeah. of that. So not quote unquote serious enough to um, be diagnosed with an eating disorder. Um, oftentimes eating disorders have weight requirements, even though people of any weights can struggle with eating disorders. So people don't often get diagnoses. Um, and then Yeah. So anything on that spectrum is disordered eating. Uh, Orthorexia is not a clinically, it's not in the like clinical, there's this giant book. Yeah. It's like, I can't remember what the book is. I'm trying to remember. I was in, I did my BSC like a very long time ago. And I'm like, I should know what that book is called. Anyways, friends, there's a big ass book that lives somewhere in the world. And it has all the list of the various illnesses and diseases and, and things you might experience, but it's not all encompassing. There are things that people struggle with that are not in this book. And just because they're not in the book doesn't mean they're not real or they're not important. Yeah. And it sounds like orthorexia is one of those. Yeah. That book is the DSM. I don't know if it's different between like different countries or like if we all use one book, I have no idea, but um, so it's not in that, but we kind of have a feeling like us dietitians that like, it'll probably be recognized in the next few years just because it's so prevalent. So I feel like it kind of was 
brought to attention with like the rise of clean eating Mm -hmm. around like, I don't know, 2014. So this obsession with like, um, clean ingredients, like quality, um, oftentimes there's like a, um, demonization and elimination of particular food groups. So dairy, um, whatever else for like, you know, being clean or being like perfectly healthy, you know, yeah. Think of like I the rules cutting of out like, sugar, I eat cutting yeah, out food, yeah. I eat never eating yeah, unsaturated yeah. fats, whatever. Yeah. And it doesn't have to have anything to do with weight. So that's kind of where it differs. Often there can be like, I would consider myself like back then, like orthorexic, but I had lost a significant amount of weight also. But when you cut out so many things, and you're also so fearful of food, like Mm -hmm. you can, you can struggle with multiple things, right? So um, yeah, the rules of like, you have to be able to pronounce everything that is on the label for you, that food to be, you know, safe or else it's poison. Like those sorts of things are like kind of indicative of, um, you know, perhaps some orthorexia. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, at the beginning, let's say you're listening to this friend and you're like, Oh my goodness. Like, I think that might be me a little bit like, Mm -hmm. that's okay. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like society and media has really been putting clean eating on a pedestal been almost like shaming a little bit as well. Like if you want to have treat nights or you want to, you want to eat something processed, like there's like so much happening around us all the time. And at first it can feel like you're doing the right thing for yourself, eating clean, you know, Mm -hmm. leveling up your health. And that's all good. It's only when it starts to negatively impact your life, Mm -hmm. I believe is when you maybe should start looking at it with a more um, distilled view, just to make sure that you are indeed doing it for the right reasons, taking care of your Mm -hmm. mind, body and soul. Um, And it's interesting now that we're starting to talk about even yourself, you shared that amongst dietitians, like it is becoming a more common thing to be discussed about. Because I think when you think about you know, being obsessed with healthy eating, you're like, how can that be a bad thing? Mm -hmm. But like, it can be as well. Like anything to the extreme can be harmful to your health. Yeah, it can cause a lot of stress. And I would argue that increased stress is probably worse for your health than any, you know, diet pattern. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) And some stress we can't control, like the stress of the state of the world is kind of out of our control. But the stress about the way that we approach food and the way that we approach exercise can to some extent, you know, we can control, like we can change the way that we think about those things. And to your point about, you know, it, it isn't a problem until it is, you know, something that we say a lot is like all of these sort of trends have like slight roots in the truth, right? Like, yes, like eating, you know, fresh, you know, fruits and vegetables is, you know, great, (laughs) you know, and that could be fresh or canned or frozen. Um, You know, that's going to be good for your health, like eating, you know, as many of those, you know, as you have access to. But when that be that becomes, well, I only have to eat those things or else it's poison. Like Mm. those two things are very different, but we have a very um, all or nothing approach to health where we kind of, lose the forest for the trees and forget to take a step back and say like what does it look like overall like do I need to obsess about every single thing or like in the grand scheme of things like am I am I like you know taking care of myself yeah because I a question that I always like to ask if you know people are like 
but like, this is healthy or this is good. And, and I'm like, okay, if like in your example, those things were causing you a lot of stress. I don't think people really understand the stress that that puts on you. Like I have a client who basically talked her husband through a day's worth of what was going on in her head at all times, just so that he could really understand what was happening. And it was so eye opening for him to hear like how much she thought about this. And like, that's causing her a lot of stress and stress is like not good for our health. So yes, like eating fruits and vegetables or like consistent moving and all these kind of things, et cetera, like the non-sexy advice that like honestly stands on two feet. Um, those things are good, but you know, if they are causing you a lot of stress, they are not healthy anymore, you know, and you can get to a place where like, you can do those things and not, you know, you know, kind of step into that, um, negative territory that you did, but those, those things are no longer healthy. You know, once they are causing you intense amounts of stress, they are stopping you from enjoying your social life. They're kind of you know, you're not cultivating your relationships because you are scared to go out and do things with people or, you know, they're affecting other areas of your, of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Let's reduce stress friends where we can. Um, I want to talk about the health at every size movement. Yeah. I guess I first want to start by saying I'm white, I'm thin. So this conversation is really carried so beautifully by people in larger bodies, Mm -hmm. oftentimes who are black or people of color. Um, But health at every size at its core wants to end discrimination of larger bodies and encourages people of all sizes to pursue health if they want to. It's not an obligation for anyone to do that. Um, But you can pursue health or health serving behaviors at any weight. So it's just removing the pursuing of health from losing weight, which is something Mm -hmm. that has often and for a long time been intertwined based on really no evidence. (laughs) Um, So it's, you know, ending discrimination, ending particularly stigma in healthcare, which is a huge barrier for people in larger bodies, um, not being able to access healthcare Mm -hmm. Um, and saying that, anyone of any weight can pursue health and it doesn't have to be about changing their body size. It can be simply for, you know, health improvement. It's like, it's, I hope it like brings some just, I don't know, uplifting. Like I think for many of us who have been on diets for so long, you know, me, Pat, you know, past tense, but like so, so many people I'm sure listening have like, it sucks. Like it really sucks. And because it's, you know, when the diet starts Monday, you're like, ugh. like, it's not something fun. And when you can accept that, like, wait, I can like do these things and do them in a way that like doesn't become obsessive and it doesn't have to start Monday and it doesn't have to be black or white. And I don't have to have a number goal and it doesn't have to start over like that actually becomes more enjoyable. I don't have to like force myself to do anything that I don't want to do also, which diets make us do. So I hope it like actually helps people enjoy, you know, if you do want to, you know, pursue health, I hope it helps you enjoy it a bit more, you know, and, and also like 
encourage you to maybe evaluate our beliefs and perspectives on things. I do want to say I did not believe these things like five years ago, you know, like this is, it's been like a personal and professional journey to like come to be an intuitive eating, like health at every size, um, dietitian. Like I wasn't born <laughs> like believing these things. Like, I, you know, we were all, especially people who grew up in the early two thousands and you know, the nineties as well. But, um, you know, believe that fat is bad. Like it's something to avoid at all costs. Like any fat on your body is bad. Um, you know, you are unlovable. You won't be as happy. You, you know, are X, Y, and Z, like all the things that we believed. And that's a lot, that's a lot to unlearn, especially if you're living in the body that is, has been discriminated against, you know? So you know, I just, I guess want to say that is like, this is, you don't like, you don't uh, become, you don't start to like in uh, internalize health at every size beliefs overnight. It takes a lot of time. But mm -hmm. I think at the end of the day, what like really has pushed me into coming to believe these things personally and professionally is like, I know that weight loss attempts, are not successful. It's, it's literally not evidence based. Like we don't have the science to support it long-term one, like full stop. And also like, we also know there are things that improve health regardless of weight, like not smoking and like not drinking too much alcohol and like eating fruits and vegetables and moving. And you can do that at any weight. And those two things have like carried me through into like coming to terms with you know, how I practice. Yeah. Wow. I, I like, thank you for being so open about the fact that like it took you time to really like yeah. body <laughs> it and internalize it. Cause I think that's a great reminder for all of us. Like sometimes when you adopt and invite new belief systems into your body or update old ones, sometimes it takes a little bit of time. Sometimes it takes a little bit of work and that's okay. It doesn't yeah. mean you should give up or just like throw it aside. Um, yeah. You mentioned that the previous you did a lot of dieting. I know yeah. I did like pretty much every diet under the sun yeah. when I was younger. And I always felt like crap. Uh, they never worked. They didn't make me love myself more. Maybe I would lose weight, but I still would hate my body. And then I put, it was just like, I do not believe in dieting one bit. Um, what do you think is wrong with diet culture? And how can we step into more of a non-diet approach to living? Mm, how much time do you have? Um, <laughs> I say part, uh, this is part one. God, of what is, I know what is wrong with diet culture. I mean, <laughs> like, I know this is like, not really a fun answer, but like, it's not evidence-based. Like, I, like it doesn't work. I know that that's probably not like the best answer, but no, it's you know. a great, it's a great. Okay. So Emily comes from a science background, previous to my entertainment life, friends, very proud to have a BSc, evidence and research is important. Yeah. And even though it's no, not I love sexy, it is still very important to take into account the evidence and the research. Yeah, yeah, no. So I guess that is like a good answer because I do like evidence, but like, um, I mean, it does like discriminate against bodies, like people in bodies, which is, you know, awful so that's probably the worst thing um but and encourages these like disordered patterns but I mean yeah like it is an evidence-based um 
you know, there will always be new diets and they will never work. Like, I, you know, I feel pretty confident saying that <laughs> like, um, because if they worked, like there wouldn't be new diets, right? Like mm -hmm. if they worked, the diet that someone did, you know, in the eighties or nineties, like they wouldn't have to try clean eating in 2014 and then keto in 2020 and intermittent fasting in 2022, you know, like the thing you wouldn't have to keep having new ones. Yeah. Right. Like that's a, it's a great profit making model, but it's not a good health pursuing model. Um, and yeah, we know like what improves health, like all the things I, I said earlier, and it's like the not sexy things. And we know that you can do those things at any weight. Um, there's a wonderful paper. I, I can like send you the link to it. I use it all the time and it looks at mortality risk in different um, BMI categories. The BMI is trash, but that's how research studies use it. Um, so it looks at like, if you implement like one healthy behavior, so fruits and vegetables, exercise, moderate alcohol, not smoking, like what's the reduction in mortality? Mortality is like risk of death. And it looks at like how that risk declines after like adding two of those, three of those, four of those and risk goes down in every BMI category with like the addition of more behaviors. So you can do these things, you know, any, any time at any weight in a way that like feels good, that feels good. That's like a, a big key thing too. Um, and yeah, diet culture doesn't make them feel good. They make them feel, they make these things feel um, like a chore. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people, like a lot of my clients, like they have to take a break from exercise or they have to take a break from vegetables. And that's totally fine. Like we, I encourage that, but you know, you really become like averse to, you know, you're on the diet and you're like over exercising and eating only vegetables or whatever, whatever. And then inevitably when you get off the diet, you're going to be binging, which is not surprising because your body's like needing fuel. You're going to be so averse to vegetables or whole grains or whatever. Um, and you're not going to exercise because you're like, I have to do that later. So you get on this like weird, so it just, it doesn't set you up to have an enjoyable relationship with those things. And it, that doesn't sound healthy, Yeah, you know? All right, we're going to take a real quick break for Chloe's Clarence Pick of the Week. I just got to say, it has been so nice to be on holiday for a month, but it also feels really good to be back. But one of the things that I had with me on my trip in beautiful South Africa was, of course, some products for my lips because it's very sunny there. It's very warm. And I don't like to wear a lot of makeup when I travel, but I do like some shine and some nourishment and some hydration for my lips and so you better believe that the lip comfort oil collection from Clarence came with me this is awesome okay I wasn't sure what it was when I put it on I'm like a lip comfort oil what is this is it gonna be oily obviously it wasn't friends it's really awesome and oil is actually at the heart of Clarence 
just history. They've been doing this for like 60 years now. They had an iconic face and body oil, and now they've expanded it to develop a lip oil. It's rich in botanical extracts, which basically is gonna help nourish and enhance your already gorgeous looking lips. Fun fact, we've got hazelnut oil, which helps to nourish the skin and protect against dehydration, yes, and organic jojoba oil, um, which is prized for its ability to nourish the skin without leaving a greasy feel. So even though it's called lip comfort oil, it's not gonna feel oily or greasy. So go check it out. And my current favorite, favorite color and scent right now is strawberry. Okay, let's get back to the podcast. And like I said, feeling good, well, no matter what you do in life, friends, like feeling good should be important. Like joy and pleasure is mm-hmm. really important. Yep. Like honing in, like building new habits, especially and building new habits is hard. And if it doesn't feel fun, if it doesn't feel enjoyable, it's going to be so much easier to not do yeah. it. Like, <laughs> about diet culture is it makes you feel like crap. It makes you feel like mm-hmm. crap when you say, okay, I guess I'm going to have to go on a diet. It makes you feel like crap the entire time you're on a diet because usually yeah. you're lacking in some very important nutrients or mm. you're, like you said, you're over-exercising and it's causing you stress. And then when the diet is quote unquote done, let's say you reach your goal, well, you're going to go back to living your life and you like you haven't taken on any like lifelong healthy behaviors. I fucking hate diet culture so much. It makes me so angry. And I feel like everyone yeah. I know is like, they <laughs> fasting or keto or like, mm. I'm not eating gluten now. And I'm like, just smile and not gluten, just smile yeah. and not, not your place. But the healthiest hot podcast, however, is where I can have my rants. And yeah. although I can get very <laughs> fired up about diet culture, because I lived it, breathed it, and it was not good mm-hmm. for me. One thing that I am trying to invite into my life, and it is still a work in progress, is intuitive eating. And I know that's something... Mm. That's so important to you. Uh, it's a part, you know, it's an important pillar of your nourishing minds, nutrition. And so I really want to break it down a little bit because, and again, this is friends, this is gonna be something that's like, doesn't sound very sexy, but intuitive eating mm-hmm. is so cool because, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like when you see little kids, like most little kids are just mm-hmm. like natural intuitive eaters, AKA at one point we were all natural intuitive eaters. Yeah. We ate when we were hungry. We stopped when we were full. We were like drank when we were thirsty. We got lots of mm-hmm. good sleep. And then somewhere along the way, things got very jumbled and we stopped eating when we were hungry. We'd stop listening to our bodies when we were full. And we started, you know, just doing a bunch of other things that for a lot of us, we like lost touch with the internal signals that our bodies are constantly trying to tell us of those like fundamental needs but there is a path to intuitive eating right yeah there is which is the good news <laughs> um yeah do you want me to just give like a quick overview I guess of how I would define it yes please I love a good definition. I think oh I think there's so many myths interpretations of what intuitive eating is right like I think the most common is like you eat, just eat donuts all day, you know, which like, I guess when I get that comment or that question, it's like, would you want to like nothing wrong with donuts, but like, would you want to eat donuts all day? Like you get to a place where you're like, fuck these donuts. You know, <laughs> like I don't want them anymore. So anyway, I think the best way to describe intuitive eating is learning how to make food and exercise decisions from a neutrally without like moral baggage that we have picked up along the way 
that best serve you in the moment. So that means I can choose in the moment if I want, you know, I'm not saying either of these foods are bad, but just they're different foods in like the eyes of diet culture. I can choose if I want a brownie or carrots in the moment by really understanding what my body needs in that moment and just thinking about like the circumstances around it rather than, oh, but if I eat this brownie, I'm going to feel bad. Or like I've been restricting sugar for like a month and I need this brownie and then it becomes eight and like this whole like moral dilemma where it really becomes, oh, like listen, listening to my own body and understanding like what I need in the moment in a neutral way without guilt or shame. So oh, that's like the nuance without guilt or shame. I know yeah. so many people, <laughs> so many people are like, what? That's yeah. possible. It is. It really is. It is. Um, also, like whoever said to you, like me, mm, just eat donuts all day. Like, I love that that was the thing that they they just decided to throw at your face. Yeah, um, but that's like, but that's a common, a very, very, very common response is, I would just eat X Y Z food all day, and honestly, at first, maybe, and that's like that's your own journey. Like that is sometimes what people have to do. There's a story that I tell all the time. I heard it on a podcast. And this woman's like, everyone has their like main food that they feel the most shame about, you know, like in diet, you, um, like for me, that was probably chips. Um, and you, you know, you have that one food and this person's food was, uh, chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream. Oh. And when this person decided to start, I know so good when they started their intuitive eating journey, they said, I need to just allow myself to eat chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream. Like I need to expose myself to this ice cream so that I know I can have it anytime. When we restrict foods, it's probably the best indicator that you're going to binge it later. But exposure to foods makes it a less um, novel experience. Like if you're restricting, restricting, when you finally eat that food, it's like this huge deal. But you know, no food experience is a huge deal, you know, maybe some cultural foods, but anyway, so she ate ice cream. I think like for every, as every dinner or like after dinner, I don't remember for like 30 days. And then she finally was like, eh, I just don't want it. Like, I just don't want it. And the point isn't to like eat less ice cream or eat less chips. It's just to be able you know, I'm sure like if you're listening and you've like dieted for a long time and you have those, you know, that food, you can never imagine a scenario in which you would say no to that food because it's become such a like, it's been placed on such a pedestal that like anytime you have the opportunity to have it, you're going to have it and probably have like three times, you know, the amount. But when you allow yourself to just have it. And, you know, if that includes like eating ice cream for 30 days straight until you just get to a point where you can say no, you know, we don't want to, how do I say this? We're not trying, I don't want my clients to control their food, but I want them to feel in control of their, you know, what they need. And I want them to be aware of it, I guess, is a better word than control. And Diet culture takes that awareness away because everything becomes, yeah, like you get in these patterns of like restricting and then binging and it's on a pedestal and it's a, such a big deal and uh, everything is a big deal. So 
yeah, I guess that's my response to like, but I would just eat X, Y, and Z food all day. It's like, yeah, maybe at first. And then I promise you would get to a point where you'd be like, eh, I want something else. Yeah. Well, and then really when get... you want it again, like you can have it. Yeah. yeah. I almost like he just ate donuts every day. Yeah. <laughs> Roller. I know that would Most be a lot. <laughs> of blood sugar in your body. It would be wild. Yeah. But like all the power to you. If you want to test it out, you do. You yeah. So let's just talk about intuitive eating a little bit. One of them we already talked about, reject the diet mentality, friends. Yeah. Basically, when we're doing that, we're going to try to relinquish the feelings of shame and guilt and binging and restricting. And then one of the other ones is all, I mean, it's so simple. It's called honoring your hunger. But I think for mm-hmm. a lot of us, like we have no freaking clue, like what that means, when we should eat, like when to make a plan for food. So like, what mm-hmm. would you like to share with us about honoring hunger? Oh, hunger is a big one. And I'm glad they made this principle too, because it's such a big deal. Um, Because for a lot of people, hunger is either something to get rid of as quickly as possible and with as little food as possible or something to conquer almost like an, or an achievement, you know, when it goes away. Um, And we've learned so many things about how, how to um, quell hunger, but the best thing is food. So (laughs) Um, honoring hunger means eating consistently. That's like where I start with all of my clients is establishing an eating, uh, consistent eating pattern, um, understanding what hunger feels like, um, and truly honoring that hunger, you know, however much food that may be, and that's going to differ every day, but also eating consistently, honoring our hunger consistently, which if you've been restricting for a long time and you don't feel that sense of hunger, that's normal. Your body doesn't really trust you to give it food. So it's not going to tell you that it's hungry. Um, But eating consistently helps us avoid those crazy swings later. We go for long stretches of period, long stretches of time without eating not great for digestion. A lot of our clients have digestive issues as well. Um, Not great for digestion, but also, you know, it's no surprise that people feel like they're out of control around food at night. And it's it 90% of the time, it's probably because they haven't eaten enough, you know, during the day, or they have a long stretch of period where they're not long. Why am I saying that long stretch of time between lunch and dinner where they're not eating a combination of those two. And then your body still needs fuel at night and people, you know, a lot of them, a lot of times find themselves in, you know, whatever food they've restricted at night. So mm-hmm. eating consistently and eating enough. Yeah. Yeah. Friends, if you find yourself just ravenous at nighttime, usually that's a good indication. Maybe you need a little bit more food in the day. I know a lot yeah. of people in my industry media, like our days are very chaotic. We don't have, yeah. you know, traditional desk jobs or traditional lunch hours. So sometimes I'll go all day and all of a sudden it's like four o'clock and I'm like, why am I such a bitch right now? And I'm like, yeah. like forgot to eat lunch. Probably a snack. Yeah, yeah probably a snack. <laughs> and then at nighttime, I'm just like, give me all the food. And so yeah. I have to remind myself, like sometimes if I know it's a busy day, sometimes I'll literally put a reminder in my phone or I'll make sure to have easy kind of snackable food items at my disposal. Because sometimes, yeah, sometimes life gets busy and you have the best of yeah. intentions. And you go too long without eating and then you end up feeling like crap or you end up being mm-hmm. hardcore the night before. Um, what yeah. are the other principles? We spoke about this already with 
um, the, the ice cream is make peace with food, you know, yeah. like the foods you deem quote unquote bad, maybe try to like enjoy them. Um, and, and then you'll be able to kind of hopefully make peace with them over time. One of the other things you talk about is to challenge the food police or inner mineral in our brains. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I know she was alive and well when I was younger. Yeah. <laughs> you can't eat that because you didn't burn enough calories or mm-hmm. you have to drink this stupid tea every night because it's going to help you poop regularly or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like getting our mindsets right is um, also a part that's important with intuitive eating. And I, I didn't know that part. And I think it's kind of mm-hmm. cool. It looks at, it makes it feel very holistic in nature. Yeah, I think the the best advice I have there is to give whoever is saying that those thoughts a name. I know this is, people do this with anxiety and depression as well, um, but then it maybe feels like it's a bit separate from you, and that it's you know you're able to say like, I see you, I know that you're there. I'm going to acknowledge this thought and try to reframe it, but also I'm going to over time, listen to you, whatever name you give it less and less and listen to me more. Mm-hmm. So I think it, I think it can help to maybe you're almost separating it from yourself and saying, I got this from somewhere else. Yeah. Like, this is not coming from me and this is not serving me. And I can acknowledge that you're there, but I can also decrease over time the influence that you have on me oh that makes me think of um jay shetty's book think like a monk i think in his book, mm. like it's like your roommate i'm like sometimes yeah your roommate is awesome and you love your roommate and sometimes your roommate is just like i'm gonna go to my room you go to yours we need a little bit of space yeah. and sometimes it can help just kind of distance um for yourself i just want to talk about one more because time is flying by and this one is about coping with your emotions with kindness yeah. instead of potentially leaning on emotional eating, um, which can often be followed up with feelings of shame and instead approaching life with curiosity and compassion, especially when Mm -hmm. our emotions are very heightened. Um, Emotional eating is a real thing. I mean, there's a reason why I like the cliche of like, you eat ice cream after heartbreak or, you know what I mean? Like we, we all do it, but it's cool to do it sometimes. It's just when it becomes our default coping mechanism that I think it might be time to step back and maybe look at it a little bit differently. Right. If your only coping mechanism was calling a friend, that also would not be good. That friend would be very exhausted. (laughs) (laughs) So like we cannot adequately handle all of our emotions with one coping mechanism. And I think eating particularly gets a bad rap, emotional eating, just because it's like, oh, don't eat too much. You're going to gain weight, blah, blah, blah. But exercise as a coping mechanism is almost rewarded. But for a lot of my clients, they are super high stress and exercise is their only coping mechanism, which is also not like nothing as, as your sole coping mechanism is a good idea. So, um, but like you said, my goal is to eliminate guilt or shame and approach things with curiosity and to help my clients do that. So approaching how we handle emotional situations with curiosity and saying, what are my other coping mechanisms? Am I only using food? I'm not demonizing using food, but like, I don't only want to use that, but I may not have anything else in my toolbox. I may have never developed those. So how can we find other ways to cope? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And friends, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh my gosh, me, like I am an emotional eater. You are not broken. You are wonderful. No, just the way you are. That coping mechanism is there and has served you. 
um, for a very long time and it's all good. It's just time to open up the toolbox, like Emily said, mm-hmm. to add a couple other tools in, which yeah. is where, um, you know, working with someone like you is a, a really, really awesome resource. So I'd love to just end on learning about nourishing minds, nutrition, and where people can learn more about you and what you do. Yes. So Nourishing Minds Nutrition is the practice that I'm a part of. So I see one-on-one clients who struggle with disordered eating, chronic dieting, um, orthorexia. And then also we, those types of clients who also have digestive issues. So IBS, um, a variety of other digestive issues um, and hormone conditions. So missing period, which is a, you know, pretty common with people with disordered eating and uh, PCOS and, you know, a variety of other hormone conditions. So, you know, if you would like to work on your relationship with food and approach food and exercise in a different way and bring, like we said earlier, some pleasure and joy and satisfaction back into, you know, your relationship with those things, you know, contact me and we can talk about becoming a client, but um, I'm sure you'll leave the link. Um, My Instagram is at Emily Eats. It's E-M-I-L-I-E-E-A-T-S. Um, so you can also DM me there. Slide into those the questions yeah. there. Slide yeah. into those DMs. But and of then course. as well, if you're looking for some some sweet food inspiration, okay, like value-wise, there's so much goodness on your IG, but then emilyeats.com. Again, yeah. E-M-I-L-I-E eats.com. Again, we'll have the link down below. Oh my gosh, there's just so many great vegan recipes there. Yeah, yeah, there is. So yeah, the the website is more like mostly recipes um, and Instagram is more like my kind of professional like dietitian stuff. So they're just what depending on what business. you're looking for. She means yeah, business on Instagram and we like to eat and take beautiful pictures of food on the website. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but um, yeah, so you can find me there. I'm also on TikTok, which is so fun. It's honestly so much more fun than Instagram. So that's just my name, Emily Abair RD at TikTok. Okay. On TikTok. Can you just tell me something for a minute? Because I have long wanted to get on TikTok, but I'm I'm yeah. terrified. Like I have built it up as this thing that like me, this 33-year-old like, oh, yeah. gal, just was like too old to get involved, but I'm no. so intrigued by it. Um, and so you're enjoying it? Yes, I love TikTok. I'm a cusper, so I'm like on the cusp of being, I'm nine, uh, 96, so I'm, I'm 25 years old, but I was born in 96. So um, I'm kind of a millennial, but kind of Gen Z. So I personally love TikTok. It fits more with my humor. Um so I think it's just been more fun and like has kept my creative juices flowing versus Instagram. So I just like it over there. And uh, I don't know, but just, I've had some good conversations and um, I think it's just fun. Like, I think like when a new platform, I just as someone who's been creating content for, I don't know, six years now, um, almost actually seven this year, like it's just nice to have like another fun way to create content. And I think once you do something for, so long like Instagram like when something different comes along it just it's like okay it's just like this is another way for me to like get my message out and like yeah. refine how I talk about these things yeah. to a different audience and you know Gen Z has done a lot of they are very different you know than millennials and how they 
were raised with food and body image. And I think they're better in a lot of ways, but there's also still a lot of stuff there. So someone needs to be talking to them. And I hope that I can maybe get through to some of the Gen Zers. Um, so I, yeah, I love TikTok, but it like fits with my personality. Yeah. And I feel at this point, very comfortable with being on camera and all that kind of stuff. So okay. I like it. All right, so I'm gonna go get some donuts, and then I'm gonna go and then do creep TikTok, your yeah. TikTok for <laughs> okay, yeah. a while and get some yeah. inspiration. Um, this has been so fun. I feel like I could have honestly talked to you for hours. I know. Um, so I don't know. Maybe I'll come back this, next time. Maybe this is part one of two. I don't know. Yeah. But um, yeah, you're super rad. I, I love what you're doing. I appreciate what you're doing. I wish I would have yeah. had someone like you in my life when I was struggling in my early 20s yeah. um that's why these conversations are so important so thank you so so much enjoy yeah. enjoy the cat the, enjoy all the things yes i will thank you i i really enjoyed this conversation well 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 who else is feeling fired up and inspired after that chat yeah same here i can't believe i'm saying this but just like that another episode of the healthy is hot podcast in the books once again, I'm your host, Chloe Wild, and look, if you enjoyed this, go ahead and subscribe so you never miss out. Rate and leave us a cute little comment. Follow us on Instagram at Healthy is Hot. And remember, healthy is fucking beautiful. We'll see you next week. Brought to you by Clarence.